Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. So the Ashes are alive, if that's not a contradiction in terms. Following England's dramatic three-wicket win at Headingley, we'll hear from both Chris Wokes and player of the match Mark Wood, as well as captain Ben Stokes. England's other captain, Heather Knight, and England bowler Kate Cross will join us to discuss the women's Ashes, with England beating Australia in the T20 leg of the multi-format series, meaning it's all to play for heading into the ODIs this week. And another captain, Netherlands captain Scott Edwards, will join us to reflect on his country's qualification for the World Cup later this year. We'll look back at why they will have no fixtures between now and then. And finally, the inaugural season of Major League Cricket begins this week. We'll be joined by former England bowler Liam Plunkett and we'll round up the week's other big stories. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. I mean, that was um, reminiscent a little bit, or maybe a lot, of uh, 2005. But boy, oh boy, was it tense in that run chase. And you thought England had done it. Harry Brook, when he was dismissed, and Chris Wokes, Mr. Cool, uh, you were there. Uh, got any fingernails left? Oh, not much. Not much left. It was, honestly, I was like, yeah, we've done it. Then Joe gets out. No, we haven't. Then Ben gets out. We've completely thrown this away. Then Harry starts going and you're going, yeah, we're getting over the line. The Yorkshireman's getting us over the line. And then 171 for six when Bairstow gets out and you're going, that's it. We don't deserve. We probably deserve to give it 5-0 now after the chances we've had in this series. Um, And then... All of a sudden, Chris Wokes comes out to bat. Like you mentioned, cool, calm, collective. And yeah, I've, I've, I've said this a lot. Sometimes good guys don't always get what they deserve because they are so good as people. But to see Mark Wood and, and Chris Wokes walk off the field, the injury record that Mark Wood's had, they're sort of living in the shadow from an all-rounder's point of view of Ben Stokes and the bowling point of view for Chris Wokes, living in the shadow of Anderson and Broad. To see him have his his day in the sunlight and his you know that that ashes winning moment, I was over the moon for Chris Wokes and it wasn't until probably Mark would hit that six down the over you know over the top of fine leg when I came from behind the sofa and realised that's it two one we've got a chance we're gonna we've got a great chance of 
you know, winning this Ashes because Ben believes we can win 3-2. And I think a lot of people now believe the momentum is with England and barring the full day or a day and a half of rain in either of the last two test matches, we're going to get results. And you feel as though England have got the ascendancy. And if it goes off summer when they were front runners, um, the show when they're out in front, they're very, very difficult to stop and difficult to beat. I'm sure many of you will have heard it, uh, but let's just remind ourselves of what Ben Stokes said afterwards. I think if you look at the the first two games in terms of how tight they were, getting over the line in another tight game can sort of, I don't know, mentally sort of help knowing that, oh, you know, another close game, but we've got over the line on this one because the first two didn't go our way. So you sort of, you know, you flip it round and we, and we didn't win this one, but it was tight again. You sort of like, oh, it's just not meant to be. But yeah, like, obviously we over the moon that we've won this one but um, it's just the start of what we know we need to do England captain Ben Stokes you mentioned Woody hitting those sixes um, you know scoring runs in both innings <laughs> 24 off eight balls in the in the first innings but the moment that would stick in my mind came when Usman Kwaja was bowled Harmi yep. I mean he Kwaja has looked like he's been batting like somebody's been lobbing him a tennis ball underarm and then for him not to get the bat down in time, to be completely cleaned up. Mark Wood's first four overs, but particularly the wicket of Usman Khwaja, I just thought, oh my goodness, this this Ashes is changing. It was changing, yeah. We were side on. We were in hospitality boxes side on. Stand next to Adam Holyoke, Dominic Cork and Ryan Sidebottom. And honestly, you would have, you, you would have thought each, were, each of us had like a hot chip in our mouth. We just, every time you let go of the ball, it was like, wow, what's going on here? This is madness. And now one thing, he wasn't loving tennis balls under arm at Manus Labuschagne either, because Manus Labuschagne is ranked number two batsman in the world. And, and this is not a knock against Manus on how he was batting, but Mark Wood in that four, I think he bowled 18 out of 24 balls at Labuschagne. And he made him look like a number 11. Honestly, you would have thought me and Corky had the bat in our hand. Or me and City had a bat in our hand at the time. It was ridiculous. So when you side on, it looked even faster. And we managed to get behind the wicket. Me and Adam got behind the wicket for his next spell. And yes, it wasn't as quick, but boy, it was hilarious. We were watching people just jumping out the way. It was it was brilliant to watch. And the Kawaji one, he set him up perfectly. Yeah, the men round the corner, short leg, man round the corner. Any, you know, the, the bouncers were in, you know, well directed, and then the full ball, like you say, he got it to swing, which was great. He got it to swing, and it did swing on that on that first morning. And Jimmy Anderson's probably thrown things that he's telling you in Lancashire. Just how on earth am I not playing on this wicket when this is happening? Yeah, and Woody's playing. It's just a different game when you introduce Pearson. He was excitable. He was very excited when I spoke to him the night before. He was even more excited the night after, uh, the night of the, the first day, because, you know, he was like, I told you I was going to let it fly, and boy, did he let it fly. And it was, it, it is brilliant to watch. And we said after the first test that this series is going to get better. And how can it get better? It's going to get better because it's an introduction of Pierce. And Mitchell Stark didn't disappoint either, because Mitchell Stark, Mark Wood, coming into this series, along with Pat Cummins, when you get Pierce in the game, it's a different game altogether. And, you know, 263, I think, was the highest total in this in this test match. That's largely down to the fact that there's Pierce involved in the game. And from side on, it was it was it was frightening. A little bit easier to see from behind the bowler's arm. But when people were asking you going through the boxes, do you miss playing? And I was looking at Woody Bowling, I'm thinking, I'm pleased I'm not out there at this very minute in time with a pair of pads in the bat of my hand, because it was it was it was scary. One of the hardest jobs that uh 
uh, producer Scott Taylor has is um, picking a quote from Mark Wood because they're all so good. But yeah. this is the one that he went for. Great that that Harmy was was here. Um, I saw him in the stand, and to be able to sort of lean on him and and even just see him, you know, gives me a, a bit of a boost. He was texting me last night and, and wishing me well and um, making sure that I give myself 10 seconds before a ball and a few pointers and a few tips. Obviously, he's been in the pressure cooker of an Ashes and one where, personally, I, I haven't done that well in this country. So to, you know, before the game, there was a few nerves flying around because I've felt for a while I've got a point to prove here. Um, all my good stuff's happened away from home, so to be able to finally do it at home was a was a massive relief. Oh, Harmy, chalk yourself up for an assist. <laughs> no, it's just he's got six, you know he's got six gears like everybody has, but unfortunately he walks out in first and he starts bowling in sixth. He doesn't give himself a chance. And the night before the game, obviously the euphoria of playing, and sometimes can work against you. And it really can work against you because you could be sort of too pepped up and you forget what the emotion and you, you get caught up in what's happening. And I thought he did it brilliantly. And all I, all I was trying to say to him was, look, when, you, when you've let go of the ball, give yourself some thinking time, breathing time to come back and do it again. And, and, it, and that was, that's always key when the pressure's on. And he, like you said, he feels under pressure in England because he, he hasn't played, he hasn't performed as well in England as what he would as he's performed sometimes abroad. But I keep saying to him, that's largely down to the surfaces you're playing on. When your surfaces abroad are a lot flatter, they need you to stand up and there's a lot more onus on you to uh, to be the difference on flat wickets with a crooked ball. In England, it's more on Anderson and Broad and Robinson and, and the Wokes type bowlers. And you're there to put batters in positions for them to strike. So sometimes you don't always get the rewards that you deserve. And you're talking about assists. You know, you get a lot of assists in England and you might not get the rewards you deserve, but it doesn't mean you haven't bowled well. And that's something you're trying to get him to understand is hard work because he wants to be front and centre of everything because of that's the character he is. And he was definitely front and centre this week. And I imagine 10 days now going into the next Test match, I would imagine the likes of Warner, if he plays, Kawaja, Labashin, Smith, Head, going to have some sleepless nights going into Old Trafford if they produce another wicket, which is going to make the ball skid on and bounce because yeah, now he's introduced him to the series. Fingers crossed he can he can carry this great form on. OK, we mentioned uh, Chris Wokes, uh, who had a phenomenal test match, hit the winning runs, of course, bowled superbly. Let's remind ourselves of what he had to say afterwards. It's good to have the back in and feel backed by the captain and the coach, but then also... I suppose feeling that little bit of pressure that you, you know, you're in a, a must-win Ashes game and not much cricket behind me and having to come in and perform. But you know, when you get early wickets, which I did, I got that wicket of minus. It kind of does settle the nerves a little bit, and then kind of went from there. So, you know, it was nice to get an early wicket and settle, settle, settle myself down. But like you say, it does feel good to have that backing from the coach and the captain, selectors, to be given the nod for this game. Definitely. What's really interesting, Harmy, is you know. A lot of people were a little bit critical that Johnny Besto hadn't played much cricket, that Joe Roos had been at the IPL. You know, there's a lot of talk about preparation. But Mark Wood and Chris Wokes haven't played, well, I think Woody's played a red ball game this year, this season, has he? And Wokes played a couple for Warwickshire at the beginning of the season. But in years gone by, we would have said, oh, they're both very undercooked. Yeah, we would. And it's it's just it's the way the, the sort of cricket calendar's going now that you don't play a great deal of cricket. And unfortunately, that's why... 
we're probably not producing the fast bowlers or the fast bowlers staying durable as we want them to be. But you've got to love Chris Wokes. He is one of the nicest guys going. He's like the son-in-law everybody wants. He's got to be the unluckiest English cricket cricketer that's played cricket in one of you know my lifetime because, like I said earlier on, the, what he's had to put up with. He lives in the shadow of Ben Stokes because he is a genuine all-rounder. This guy is a, is a proper batter. He's a proper bowler, but unfortunately, the bowling side of it, he lives in, he's lived in a generation of, of Broad and Anderson who have just got you know ridiculous longevity qualities and skill sets with a ball. From an all-rounder's point of view, he's he's had to live in the shadow of Ben Stokes. So, like I said before, to see him have his day in the headlines like he has done, it's fantastic. I'm really pleased for him and... And he never lets England down. And I can't wait for him to go to, to Old Trafford and the Oval because he goes there as you know, one of England's first choice picks, I would have said, for the rest of the series. And that is something you feel you feel pleased about because whenever you're in a fight, he's, he's always there to, to stand up. And he showed his smart sort of cricketing qualities as well during that innings because instead of trying to you know, flap at things when the ball was bowled at his head, you could see he had a plan of getting inside it, you know, working it into the gap. And I think a lot of the batters could, you know, take heed of the way Chris Wokes batted because he was very, very smart in how he went about facing the Australian bowlers as sort of the game was going on. And then as Mark Wood came in, um, how he he managed that situation. I thought he, he was he was magnificent during that whole game. Okay. We've got another show before the Old Trafford Test match. So we'll obviously look at the two teams during that show, um, before the, the test match starts. But, and a week is a long time in cricket, obviously. <laughs> but I am interested in your initial thoughts now on, on the, the two teams that, I mean, it's, it's eight or nine days away. But can Australia really leave Mitchell Marsh out? And if they play him, does he open? And what on earth do England do now? I think if I was England, I'd be over the moon if Mitchell Marsh opens a baton. Um, so destructive down that middle order. Why would you move somebody who's just got 100 off 118 balls? Batting at number six, you want to find a place for Cameron Green. It's interesting to see Glenn Maxwell's having a game for Warwickshire. Uh, Are Australia thinking two spinners further down the line, possibly at the Oval? Little things like that. David Warner is is always going to be a talking point and players coming to the end of their careers are always going to be a talking point because Jimmy Anderson's in the same... You know, we're talking about we're going to talk about Jimmy Anderson in the same boat. The reason why these guys have played 100 Test matches because they know how to play under pressure. I don't think Warner's had a shocker this series, and I'd be surprised if Australia leave him out. They might have to make a, a, a tight judgment call on whether they play a spin bowler in in Old Trafford, which I think that would be a mistake if they did did leave out Todd Murphy. They might just have to make a brutal call and say Cameron Green, you're not playing, or Mitch Marsh, you're not playing. I'd be very surprised if they leave Mitch Marsh out from here. So they're the, the conundrums. I think England would be pleased if David Warner was left out because he can hurt you. And he's played that, that many test matches and he's a fighter. And Australia are up against it now. To, to drop your fighter, well, I think that would be that would be a gamble for me. Jimmy comes back in, simple as that. You, know, you, 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 write, your, you write your 16 names down at the start of the week. You get to a point where you go, what is our best team? after everybody's had 10 days rest and you still pick Jimmy Anderson. You've left them out of this test match for a reason to keep him for Old Trafford. I think Ollie Robinson's gone. He's out of the test series now. And then you, if you want 
we have a judgment call on whether how fit Stuart Broad is going into this next test match. If he's fit, he plays because he has been so good in this series. Um, but he has had a big workload, and that's the way you get Josh Tung on the side if you don't pick Broad. But Ben Stokes says you you know you have to sort of let things breathe and we'll pick it. Don't pick it on emotion because Jimmy Anderson's got Old Trafford and they're named after him. Pick Jimmy Anderson because he's still one of our best bowlers. And for me, going into that fourth test match, I'd go in with Anderson, Wood, Wokes. And if Broad's fit, he plays. If there's any sort of question marked on Broad, you play Josh Tung. And you don't have to look at the oval because the Ashes is over if you get beat at, at, at Old Trafford. Pick the best team, we think, to win the test match. And the oval would take care of itself when the oval comes around. Anyway, one thing about Todd Murphy, a final word there is uh, Mark Taylor was on Sky Commentary when England needed 130 and he was begging Cummins to bring on Todd Murphy, saying, now, do it now. They they need 130. Do it now. It'll be too late otherwise. And Cummins didn't have the confidence um, in yeah. Todd Murphy. And that's, why they might go with, that's why they might go with both Marsh and Green, not play the spinner, carry back to number eight, so it lengthens their batting. And they've got three seamers plus the two sort of all-rounders to sort because Marsh doesn't bowl a great deal, Green doesn't bowl a great deal. So it's not like playing five out and out seamers. Well, it is playing five out and out seamers, but you're not looking at one of them bowling 15 overs and the other one not bowling at all. They've both got workload problems. So there would be a, a case of Australia going in with sort of three front nine seamers and the two all-rounders just to sort of fill the fourth bowler void. We shall see Australia last played no specialist spinner over 10 years ago. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. OK, let's turn our attention to the other Ashes. Um, and England kept their hopes alive with a 2-1 win over Australia in the T20 series. Australia's first defeat in a bilateral series since 2017. Also the first time they've lost two games in a row since 2017. Uh, but the tourists are still 6-4 ahead on points. Um, in the multi-format series. This is the first Ashes series with Cinch as England's principal partner. And with Cinch, you can choose from thousands of cars, buy entirely online or get free home delivery and a 14-day money-back guarantee. So after the second T20 at the Oval last week, TalkSport's Scott Taylor sat down with the England duo Heather Knight and Kate Cross to reflect on their victory. Heather, Kate, thanks for joining us today on TalkSport. You're here with Cinch. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. Just doing the rounds, doing a few interviews, aren't we? Yeah. Obviously, Cintra, one of our main sponsors and a really key sponsor for us, obviously, in supporting women's sport and, and women's cricket. Heather, you mentioned off-air that the phrase cinched it and you only went and cinched it last night in the T20, winning by three runs. How big a moment was that psychologically? Because you've gone so close to Australia in this series before, but getting over the line must have been a huge hurdle to overcome. Yeah, it was a bit of a hurdle for us, actually. Like the first two games, the test match and the first T20, we felt like we really stood toe-to-toe but didn't quite have that killer instinct to get over the line. And I think when you're playing against a team that hasn't lost for a long time, uh, I think once you do that first win, I think it makes a big difference. And I think the belief we've had despite the losses uh, in the first two games, has been outstanding as a group. We really believe we're good enough to beat this Australian team. We're good enough to compete and, and take them on. So, yeah, last night was a lot of fun. It was nice to, to finally get over and, and obviously with the games to come, hopefully that will um, give us a lot of confidence and belief. And a perfect way for you to cap off 100 caps for England. 
Yeah, it was nice. It was really lovely, actually. Uh, I was thinking back to my first cat when it was absolutely no one watching in Sri Lanka mm. um, to be there in front of 20,000 people at the Oval last night. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very special. Yeah. Um, obviously, didn't contribute too much uh, with the bat, but yeah. um, the team win was more than enough. Talk to us about John Lewis, because he's come in in the last sort of year or so. What has he changed in the dressing room, if anything? I think it's probably been our mentality and confidence more than anything um you know one of the first things he said when he came in was that we don't realize the talent in the dressing room and the ceiling that we've got is so high um and he's he's just come in and told everyone how good they are basically and and given us license to fail because you know he's not he's not put too much pressure on results like you're going to win games of cricket you're going to lose games of cricket but if we can be really true to the type of cricket we want to play and how aggressive we want to be and how much we want to try and entertain people then then we are winning you know, despite the results. So I think that's something that he's he's really instilled in us. And if we can do that against the best in the world, then, you know, you should be able to do that against any team. And for yourself, Heather, what's John done as a captain for your game? I think he's he's made it a very relaxed environment. I think that's really important. And especially for the group we have, like we all get on really well and, and like to enjoy ourselves. And I think sometimes you forget how great it is being a England cricketer and, and touring the world and playing with your mates and just trying to take that pressure off us a little bit, I think. But he's also like challenged us. He's certainly challenged me as a captain to to do things a little bit differently and, and try and adapt to to the squad we have. I guess so. That's been really useful for me. And, and like sometimes as a captain, you don't get a lot of feedback. So so having that challenge um, is a really good thing. I think to keep moving forward as a player. I'll speak to you both about Sophie Eccleston. 100 T20 wickets now, the fastest men or women's player to get that. It's mad to think she's only 24. And she's got 100 wickets. What's she been like? Because you know a few Lancashire, of course, Kate. Yeah, we were literally just talking about her in the green room before, mm. saying like, she could play for another 12 years if mm. she wanted to. She's going to break so, so many records. But I think the thing that stands out for me with Sophie is, A, she's the most competitive person you'll ever meet, but she keeps it really simple. And I think that's always stood her in good stead, that when she's under pressure, she goes back to what she's very good at, which is world class. Um, you know, she's she's super talented. Um, she works really hard. And she's <laughs> last night she was... She was just desperate to win, wasn't she? She's, she we call her Delia because um, she's a bit of a hooligan when she's on the pitch. She's uh, really like the one that gets the team going and gets the morale going. So, um, she, yeah, she's a huge part of the dressing room. And, and like I said, she could have one of the most groundbreaking careers of, of women's cricket because of how good she is. And what's she like to captain? I guess it must be a captain's dream just to throw the ball to her and she'll do the job half the time, or most of the time, sorry. Yeah, it is. She can bowl at all phases in a, in a game and in different situations and... She just brings that competitive edge and she's she's brilliant to be able to throw the ball to and she's super relaxed as well. I think that brings out the best in her, like being, being really chatty and having a laugh all the time. And she actually asked me last night um, when they needed, I think it was 18 off, off three balls, she's like, oh, do I go slow here? Do I go, do I go York? I was like, hmm, tell you what, you're the best bowler in the world, you decide. And then she went and did it and, and nailed her skill. So, um, yeah, she's a dream and uh, she really leads that spin group. I thought Sarah Glenn deserves a mention the way she bowled last night as well. She often goes under the radar with how she bowls, but she's a, a really good ally for Sophie in those middle overs. And I think there's some context in here because you guys have only been professional for a few years yet. Australia have been professional for, what, 10 years or so. So the fact that you're now going toe-to-toe to do, to, with them must be some compliment to, to your side, I guess. Yeah, I think the professionalisation of the domestic game in this country uh, and the 100 has really sort of broadened the talent pool that we have like certainly selection conversations are so so tricky these days and you're talking about so many more people than you used to because these girls have got the opportunity to train all the time work on their games and they're playing a really good standard of cricket against good players so that means a hell of a lot more um, when it comes to obviously making the next step and 
like you said, Australia's domestic setup's been professional for a long time, so we do feel like we've been playing catch up a little bit. But now it feels like hopefully we're we're starting to to catch up, and if we can keep getting better and keep improving, um, hopefully we can go ahead. And you look at the fast bowlers coming through, Daniel Gibson, sorry, uh, Lauren Filer in the Test match. You've got the likes of Izzy Wong coming through as well. So how motivated does that keep you to try and? keep your place in the England side Kate. oh yeah it's, it's, it is it's difficult you've got to mm. be performing all the time now but I think also that domestic structure is great for us as well to be able to you know when there's not international cricket you can dip that back down and play a good standard of cricket which we were probably lacking for a couple of years and obviously the hundreds a big part of that as well it's it's hard to get into this 11 it's a very really strong T20 11 but I've got the opportunity to go and play 10 or so games in the 100 and, and try and prove myself there so um, but having the young girls coming through it's great I think they've all been a, a breath of fresh air like Izzy the way that she just runs in and, and does what she wants in a way that is like she's got all these skills that she wants to showcase and show off and, and that makes you want to be better as a cricketer as well um, Lauren Bell as well I've really enjoyed working with her she's been she's been a great addition to this team and she's she's like a little ray of sunshine every day at training she's just all happy smiley bubbly and just that that there's no fear of failure with them um, and I think that's probably an element of coming through with the 100 and playing their first games on TV I think we had to wait probably six or seven years mm-hmm. until we were you know on TV and under that kind of scrutiny so having those girls used to it just makes you realise how much you can still improve and, and get better and you know, it's not just the senior players that are helping the, the youngsters, but the youngsters are helping the senior players as well. You mentioned the Test match earlier, and the crowd there was amazing at Trent Bridge. But the question a lot of people are asking leaving the ground is, oh, when's the next women's test? But there's not one next year. There might be one in 25. You've got one at Lords in 26. So how disappointing is it not to gain any momentum in Test cricket? Yeah, it's a real tricky one, because like, we don't play any domestic multi-innings mm. stuff. And when you play a Test, it's like you're learning on the job. Like mm. I've played for England for... 13 years and I've played I think 11 test matches now which is like a men's summer so even as the most experienced like player in Red Bull cricket like you're still learning the job and you're still trying to grow I guess which actually is, is quite exciting but I, I think Kate agrees we both love playing test cricket mm. it's the most challenging format of the game it's tough like particularly as, as bowlers like they have to put a real shift in but I think when you do have success there it's the most rewarding like it's it's so much fun we'd certainly love to play more but I think T20 cricket has been a, a real good growth phase for for women's cricket around the world but it's how you fit them all together I'd love to see more I think we might have a five day test against India um, in December which is pretty cool a test match in India has been on the bucket list for a long yeah. time so that'll be really cool to play in um, but yeah I, I don't know what Kate thinks whether she yeah no I agree I think like we would love to play more and I think there's the argument now with the multi-format of our Ashes that could we play another test match or another two test matches um, obviously where the schedule allows but what we love the most about it like Heather said is you're learning on the job but you you've got two innings to try and work batters out and if we could do that over a series then that'd be even more exciting but yeah we love Don in the Whites we absolutely it's just one of the best weeks that we have as as England cricketers um and debutantes as well you always seem to have a debutant because we don't play it that often so um that's always a, a really special moment and Lauren Fowler was was incredible in that test match I thought you know she really jumped into it she'd never played I asked her one day I think it was day one actually I said how, how many overs of you bowled max in a day she said oh I think 10 and then she was on her 15th over at that point so you know like people are really putting their bodies through it and their minds through it as well so yeah we if we got to play more of it I'm sure you'd see a, an even better version of it as well I think. Now the talk in cricket this week has been about that incident at Lords and just the foil for Chester running on <laughs> yeah, Johnny Bairstow carrying them off <laughs> but you guys experienced a similar controversy at Lords last year against India with the man cad 
of Deepsea Sharma man-cutting Charlie Dean to win the ODI. So it, I guess it's okay for the men's just they're straight back into it, but you guys had two and a bit months before the West Indies tour to just stew on it. So what was the feeling like afterwards, in the days after that event? Well, I wasn't playing, actually. I yeah, was, you were injured. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. in the stands, so I was enjoying myself in a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably had the best version of it. Yeah, I mean, there were, it was probably one of the first times that we've really had something as controversial mm. as that. And I say controversial because it just divided opinion. I think that's what the spirit of cricket seems to do. I think the laws of cricket are there, and, you know, in both instances, in the Johnny Burster one and the Charlie Dean one, they were both out. The laws say yeah. they're out. So it's then this grey area of what the spirit of cricket looks mm. like to different people. So... Yeah, obviously that we finished that series, and I think in a way that was good because it was just put to bed quite quickly. Um, actually, Charlie Dean faked the mancad the next day in a yeah, domestic yeah, game. Yeah, she yeah. a little cheeky, funny. little cheeky. But um, yeah, I think you know everyone's had their opinion on the Johnny Bairstow incident. The spirit of cricket comes into it, I guess, because was he trying to gain advantage? Probably not. Um, but when I watched it, I just thought that was out. If the mm. keeper stood up to the stumps, then that ball's not given as a dead ball and they're not calling over as soon as it hits Alex Carey's gloves because he's got the opportunity to stump someone. So, But that's opinion divided. And I think what we have said is it's a bit of a shame that the that, you know the Ben Stokes innings kind of got not talked about as yeah. much as it should have done because of this incident. And that was similar in, in our game at Lords last year. It was Julian Goswami's last game and we got to play for the first time at Lords since the 2017 World Cup and yet we were talking about... Um, someone getting run out at the non-strikers end so mm. what it has done is it's created theatre um, I love the Stuart Broad incidences <laughs> last week he, you know he, he seems to become the Ashes villain um, so it's it, it's got people talking about cricket rightly or wrongly so that's that's great for us and great for the sport and just finally before I let you go let's let's talk a bit about the future because the report the ICEC report came out last week saying that cricket was rife with racism elitism sexism and you spoke in the press about some of the experiences you went through, Heather. But looking at last night, how encouraged are you by the future of women's cricket that 20,000 at the Oval? And I guess in the press, are we guilty of going, oh, how good is it to see 20,000 at the Oval when in a couple of years' time we should treat it as the norm and England playing someone at the Oval or someone at Lords, for example? Yeah, well, I think we're just after equal opportunity, mm. to be honest. Like... I think the first time I played at the Oval, we rocked up and the men were having a net and we were like, oh, what pitch are we playing on? And the men were netting on, on the wicket that we were going to play on. It was a domestic game, but obviously last night it's so different playing in front of 20,000 people. You're the prime event and you really feel like you made so much, or like the team and, and the sport has made so much progress and, and that's really heartening. I think it's important to say like how far the sport has come. It's obviously still got some, some way to go. Um, and me and Kate have, have obviously been around for a long time and, and experienced um, some of those things and I don't think it was a real surprise to us what came out in the ICEC, particularly around women's cricket. Um, but it does feel like we're on a bit of a tipping point and I think the media has a, a really key role to play in, in moving things forward and, and treating the women's game exactly how it treats the men's. Yeah, I think I probably echo everything Heather said. You know, we were part of those discussions around that report. So they were our experiences. They were what we've been through and what we've had to deal with. Um, but again, echo what Heather said that it's come so far. You know, 10 years ago, we were playing a test match at Wormsley and now we're playing test matches on, at Trent Bridge five days with Duke's balls. And so it has moved so far and it's moved really far in a short space of time. But I think one of the arguments about equal opportunity in women's sport has always been that we've never got the crowds and now you know with proper marketing and, and proper visibility we're starting to get 20,000 people come quite regularly to to watch us in the last couple of weeks so I think that's where our argument stands now with the ECB that we've got the product that, that people are willing to buy so um, long may that continue and hopefully they, there's no backward step taken with it now. 
And how big, just finally, how big was 100 for, for both you and for the women's game in general in creating that sort of new fan that comes to the women's game and you see the attendances rise as well? And also for the for the younger players, managing this newfound fame, I guess, that people recognise you when, you when you're playing the game and that sort of stuff. So how has the 100 helped you guys with that? Yeah, the 100's been huge and I think it was by complete accident. It was only because yeah. COVID we had the double yeah, headers and I think the fact that the women's game was marketed as, as well as the men's. It was kind of put on on the same playing field in, in terms of visibility from the start. It was a men's and women's competition and I think that's been huge in, in terms of the context of the game. Um, and in terms of the younger players, they're just used to playing on telly. They're used to playing in front of people um, and you certainly see that confidence, I think. And, and for us, like we're playing in front of our biggest crowds in an England shirt, whereas those girls have already experienced that and experienced um, the pressures, I guess, and the scrutiny that comes with that. So, yeah, it certainly makes those players more ready, I think, when they come in to play international cricket, um, which obviously is a huge plus for England. And Kate, for you, of course, you're moving across the Pennines this time from, <laughs> yeah. from uh, Manchester yeah, Originals happening. to the Northern Superchargers. Yeah, that's going to be good fun, actually. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think I've finally got my head around it now. But um, I think the toughest thing for me with that is I'm going to have to play against my team twice, Manchester mm, twice, yeah. the rival, obviously. So that'll be good fun. But um, I think what, yeah again agree with everything Heather said that I think the 100's been huge for women's sport and what a lot of people have said to me is that they now have you know women's players as household names it's not just Ben Stokes and Stuart Broad who they know it's it's you know turning on the TV at three o'clock every day and seeing women's cricket on on primetime TV so that's that's great for us and Alice Capps is probably the one that stands out for me that she kind of just fell into that and succeeded and, and now is like the face of the oval and, and last night she's at her home crowd and gets the biggest cheer when she goes out to bat so it's 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 just great for the sport and I think hopefully this Ashes series will encourage more people to come and watch the 100 as well and, and kind of vice versa it was it was a bit strange that first year of the 100 wasn't it we had tw- tw- 12,000 people coming watching us on average and then we played an international game and there was 3,000 people there watching so hopefully the tables turn a little bit now and we can we can get people at all our games but it's just great to be part of you you feel like you're part of this big whirlwind of momentum of women's sport and women's cricket um, and you're kind of trying to w- ride the wave but yeah we just first and foremost want to be trying to entertain people and, and get people to come and watch us and that seems to be happening at the minute was England captain Heather Knight and England bowler Kate Cross speaking to TalkSport's Scott Taylor on behalf of Cinch. And with Cinch, you can choose from thousands of cars, buy entirely online or get free home delivery and a 14-day money-back guarantee. Well, that was after the second game that uh, Scott's, but the third T20 was an absolute belter. Just fabulous, fabulous entertainment. Really tense. Again, you know, the ashes on the line, keeping them them alive. Harmy, uh, the... Women are, are really, really pulling their their weight here, aren't they? I mean, you know, we Australia not just the best team in the world; they're the best women's team of all time, and they're being given a run for their money. Yeah, for the first time, I think for a long time. What well, that was the first time I lost two games in a row in in God knows how long. And when you look at it, what a superstar Alex Capsi is going. She is now, but where's she going to be? Nats give a brunt again. Shows of that that sort of all rounder uh, in the middle order, and then obviously she uh, she got two for thirty with the ball as well. So it got tense down to the wire. I must admit, again you're, you're looking at it and thinking, oh no, they're going to throw away a winning position. But it just shows the gaps getting it's getting closer with Australia. And whenever you talk to you know some of the England women's cricketers, they, they talk about the difference that the reason why Australia are so far ahead is because of the level of professionalism they've had 
for so long. And England are just in the infancy a little bit of that three, four years of the professional game. And I think as the years go on, it will get closer because the more professional the England women cricketers are. So that is getting more and more evident. That's come off the back of the 100, which is great because then we get more and more grounds that are sold out in the three ODI series. That's to come, which England need to win, obviously, all three. They've got sellouts for each one. So that in itself tells you the trajectory of where women's cricket's going, which is absolutely brilliant to see. And uh, just finally, on a different subject, well, not completely different, um, the 2024 international fixtures are out um, and the women have 14 white ball games against Pakistan and New Zealand, all wrapped up by mid-July. Uh, but they will be playing at Lords, the Oval and Edgebaston. So that's that's great to see. As far as the men are concerned, they're playing test cricket in August, which um, it, it was, I, I don't know, is that, is that a talking point? Um, there's no test cricket, obviously, this August uh, during the 100. And um, yeah, T20s against Pakistan during the IPL. I guess that's uh, an interesting talking point as well. Yeah, well, the whole calendar was always going to be a talking point for, but actually for both men and for women, because there's more franchise leagues popping up as around the world as well for the for the women's game. But it, it, it all sort itself out. We all whinge about. We'll have old forty duddies that'll whinge about when times and cricket are played. Should we play in cricket in in August? Don't think it really matters what month we play. We, for me, we play cricket as long as we are prioritising the most important things. For me, the most important thing for men's cricket is test matches. I think the men's calendar next year looks as though it's a little bit underwhelming. The teams that are touring, the way that the weird schedules sticked out, we might have a very, very quiet summer when it comes to exposure for the England men's game. I think that's both with red and white ball. So I think this time next year, we might be talking about football a little bit more than, the, than what we are at the minute because of the Ashes is on. I think next year, I think we might not be talking about cricket as much front and centre. Um, and we might have a year where we breathe a little bit more. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's me being as diplomatic as I possibly can. <laughs> You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll be joined by Netherlands captain Scott Edwards after they secured their place at the Cricket World Cup in India later this year. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast on the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm delighted to say um, that, uh, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined by the Netherlands captain, Scott Edwards, um, after a phenomenal record-breaking performance in uh, the World Cup qualifying tournament where the Netherlands reached the final and achieved their goal of qualifying for the World Cup. Scott, um, I know you're just about to get on a plane to leave, but I do hope that uh, you have a, a significantly appropriate headache because that was been a heck of a three weeks. Yeah, no, it has been. Yeah, yeah, the boys have been awesome. I think we we probably celebrated after the Scotland game, so there's it probably a little bit of a headache after that. But uh, yeah, I think the last couple of days, everyone's everyone's pretty knackered and and ready to get back to the Netherlands. Logan van Beek and Baz de Leerde, um, produced two of the great, great ODI performances. But um, it wasn't just, it wasn't a two-man show. I mean, you were in the runs. Vikranjit Singh scored 100. Tejendra Manuru scored 100. Um, it was just phenomenal. And considering that there were, I don't know, six or seven probably first-choice players who weren't in the squad, it exceeded everybody else's expectations. Did it exceed yours? Uh, not necessarily. I think going into the tournament, we knew as, as a team, we're not, you know, full of superstars or anything like that, where we just try and play as a group um, and all contribute. And I think that was probably the, the most satisfying thing about the trip. As you said, you know, the batters throughout the order, everyone, everyone put in performances and put their hands up and, you know, the bowlers um, have always been a strength of ours. And, and for the majority of the tournament, they were, yeah, they were pretty clinical with the way they went about it. And one star that did say no to the county, he joined us by the letter a few weeks ago and said when he signed for Durham that he had to go and play and represent the Netherlands. What does that say about about him and you know and the tournament he had? Yeah, he's a very uh, very proud uh, Dutch fan. Bus, he's he's an incredible cricketer, and you know he's he's so devoted to this team. So yeah, if there's if there's anyone uh, that you want available, yeah, he he's the guy because he's. You know, he, he puts, he squares his heart on his sleeve and he gives everything to the team. So, yeah, no, really happy for him the way he went about it. And obviously, you know, everything that comes from that is, you know, credit to him. A couple of real pinch yourself moments. I mean, chasing or matching the West Indies 360 and then Logan van Beek doing what he did, um, 30 off the super over and then taking two for eight. He faced the super over and then bowled it. Um, and Baz de Leerde's 5 for 50 and 123 off 90-odd balls against Scotland. I mean, it's, you know, you'll look back at that those performances in, well, I mean, 30 years' time and still find it hard to believe. Yeah, I think uh, 
I was lucky enough with Logan's one. I was actually, I was out there in the middle just watching from the other end. And then I'm also rooming with him. So I probably got to watch it another 30 or 40 times over the next couple of days. So um, yeah, I pretty much recount that one ball for ball. And then yeah, Bus- Bussy's performance in what is, yeah, like it's, it's monumental, you know, what making this World Cup does for, for Dutch cricket. So yeah, to in one game get five for and a hundred, which yeah, as as I think it's only been done three or four times before. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty incredible um, performance in any game, let alone a game that's uh, that's taken us to a World Cup. Ryan Cook is a coach who doesn't enjoy headlines. I mean, he he tries to stay under the radar as much as possible. And for those who don't know, by the way, he's son of uh, prolific Somerset County batsman Jimmy Cook. Um, but but he did put his head above the parapet afterwards to um, appeal for fixtures and maybe a sponsor, which would be nice. The 50 over World Cup in particular presents an opportunity of being uh, playing India and other countries in India, um, which I think brings a lot of eyeballs to the screens. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to pick up a sponsor or two as well, um, bring a bit more revenue into the game. Um, you know, the, the players at the moment, um, you know, they do get paid quite lowly uh, in comparison to some of the other countries. And hopefully that will give a bit more resource to be able to do that. Um, at the moment, you know, we only have a coaching staff with one member full time. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get a bit more resource into the coaching as well. Uh, and, uh, and that should provide a bit more of a bolster for us to get a bit, a bit more uh, resources going forward. So hopefully it means a lot. Obviously it'll take a bit of work from our end and, and obviously again a, a full invitation to any sponsors out there who, who feel like coming on the front or side of the shirt um, during the, to, the, to the World Cup, not only in the 50 overs, but also to the T20 World Cup as well um, taking place in the West Indies. So that would be great if we could, we could get a bit more resources into the system. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, it's something we probably we probably are well we we're lucky enough with the Super League. We obviously played um, a lot of fixtures, and that's probably the reason uh, why we are where we are now. But yeah, we we don't have any uh, any fixtures coming up in the next couple of months before the World Cup. So yeah, I, I think any chance we can get to to play against some teams, hopefully in the subcontinent or or something like that, would be uh, would be of great benefit for us um, going into the World Cup. But Cookie's Cookie's been amazing, as you said. He Tends to keep his keep his head pretty low most of the time, but yeah, he's he's been amazing for this group. And Scott, you mentioned just a second ago about what it means to oh, you know, you just alluded for Dutch cricket. Uh, but what does it mean, and what can the next step be, having sort of qualified, and then when you go through the process of playing in the World Cup, coming back from India, what does it mean for Dutch cricket and going forward, and what can, what does it need to help to change to make it sort of this be a continuous platform for Dutch players to, to really sort of showcase their skills? Yeah, I think it's probably hard to describe what it, what it does and we'll probably find that out in the next, the next few months. But obviously in terms of, of money that will come through the system for us in terms of, you know, the amount of people in the Netherlands that are they're going to, you know, be watching and, um, you know, hopefully that, that grows the game a bit. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably hard to describe. As I said, I think in a few months' time we'll, we'll probably see um, what comes of it but you know for, for us we've, we've just got to prepare well and hopefully performances in this World Cup as well will encourage you know more teams to tour the Netherlands give us chances to go and play some of these some of these nations in uh, in bilateral series which with the end of the Super League is probably going to be a little bit harder now. I mentioned all those players who were missing um, Fred Klaassen, Paul van Meeker and Brandon Glover, Tim van der Goethen, Colin Ackerman, Rudolf van der Merwe. do they I suppose they're in contention for the World Cup squad, but um, 
you're the ones who qualified. I guess that they don't get a free pass straight back into the squad, do they? No, and, that, and that's always the thing. I think you know we'll obviously pick um, you know the, the strongest side that we can to to go well at this World Cup. But I think as as everyone's seen, like there's there's plenty of depth in Dutch cricket, and it's we'll pick the side for the conditions. You know, there's obviously some amazing players, you know, playing county cricket at the moment, but there's there's plenty playing in the Netherlands as well. Yeah, as we've seen. So, yeah, there's there's obviously going to be some guys that are disappointed, but you know, I, I suppose that's the that's the great thing about um, the depth we've got in Dutch cricket at the moment. And you know, the Ryan Cook has is, is said he's pleaded with you know somebody to give him a game and get some preparation time going into the World Cup. What would be your ideal? Preparation, if you could have it between now and October, when you know the the real stuff starts, is it a case of players going playing back in to try and get into first class cricket? Are you encouraging first class sides to to come over to Holland to give you some practice, or in an ideal world, do you want to be going into the subcontinent to try and you know get some you know some practice on the surfaces you're going to play? Yeah, I think that's probably a big one for us. Yeah, a lot of us haven't played a whole lot in the subcontinent, so. Ideally, um, some fixtures over there, even, you know, like camps or things, um, just to get used to the conditions and, and the type of bowling that we'll be facing. But, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully get the ball rolling with that and uh, should have, hopefully, you know, a pretty good preparation. Without We obviously don't have a whole lot of cricket besides that. So, you know, we can, we're fully focused on the World Cup, which is something that not many other teams uh, probably have at the time. Well, we mentioned Ryan Cook. Let's just actually remind ourselves of what he said. Um, about that blank fixture list. I think it's about 90 days until our first fixture. Um, the guys will go home, have a bit of a rest, and then come back from there. Uh, there's not many guys who don't have fixtures at the moment in the international circuit. I've been trying to do a bit of research, but this is a call out to anyone who wants to play us. <laughs> We'd love to have a fixture or two. And um, yeah, obviously, our guys have not really been to the subcontinent many times before. Um, so it'd be good to be able to have some fixtures uh, in, in the subcontinent somewhere as well. That's uh, Netherlands coach Ryan Cook uh, pleading for some more fixtures. What are his strengths? I mean, I know that he's very good technically, but I'm sure he's not concentrating so much on that. It's more of a a mindset, is it? I mean, what's your belief going to the World Cup? And people will be, you know, they're they're used to seeing associate nations, you know, just trying to be competitive and, you know, put a decent total on the board. But you've just scored 360 and beaten the West Indies. I mean, there's... Is he encouraging a, a fearless attitude, kind of basball? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so much that. I think, yeah, we're we're a unique side in the way we we play our cricket, and I don't think it's we're the sort of team that's going to go. Oh, we're you know we're going to play like the West Indies, or we're going to play like Australia, or anything like that. So we're you know we like to consider ourselves a disciplined team, and you know we want to just get the best out of ourselves, basically. So yeah, I, th- I think we've we've gained a whole lot of confidence from this tournament and and leading into it as well. So Cookie, he builds a lot of belief in our guys. You know, we've had culture camps and things like that where we envision, you know, where we want to be as a group. And it's uh, it's, it's been pretty pretty unbelievable how, how close a lot of those things have come in the last 12 to 18 months. So, yeah, I suppose we'll go back to the drawing board, figure out, you know, what we've got to do to, to play well in India against these sides. Um, and I'm sure he'll, he'll have a few few things in place for us. Scott, just for those who don't know, you obviously don't sound like you grew up in the Netherlands. So <laughs> how did you end up playing for them and, and becoming captain? Yeah, my story is a, a bit of a longer one. I actually was born in Tonga, which is you know like a little island in the Pacific, and then sort of grew up there for the first couple of years. And my parents uh, 
yeah, and then we moved back to Australia. But my dad's side is from the Netherlands and mum's side is Australian. So, yeah, my grandparents met in the Netherlands during the war and then moved across to Australia. So, yeah, I, I lived my first, or yeah, up until I was about 18 in Australia. And then, you know, the last, how many years is that now? Eight years I've been spending sort of six months in the Netherlands, six months in Australia. So, yeah, got obviously got um, heritage from both sides, um, got Australian and the Dutch passport. And, yeah, from there I sort of found my way into the setup and, uh, yeah, eight years down the track, I, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm leading the guys, which is, yeah, something I'm, I'm very proud of. And I know, you, I know you've been busy for the last few weeks, but have you been managed to catch up by watching the Ashes and it is a different type of, of cricket? I know it's... It's red ball and it's test match cricket played in whites, but it's been played at a, a ferocious, you know, you'd say 2020 pace. Have you enjoyed watching that? And, you know, what's it been like, you know, from Harare when the Ashes has been on? Has there been much talked about it over there? Yeah, it's obviously a very exciting brand of cricket. And the Ashes is always, well, it's something I've grown up watching there. Yeah, so even when I was in the last series, you know, staying up late watching, watching all the games when I was in the Netherlands and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 obviously pretty cool to watch. And then I think in Harare, we haven't had a whole lot of time. Um, you know, you play pretty much every every second off the day, so we haven't had a whole lot of time. But the days off, I think most of the guys are sort of chilling out on on your bed, just watching the Ashes. So yeah, there's there's not much getting away from cricket <laughs> uh, this last month with the amount that's going on. But yeah, no, it's exciting to watch, and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it goes down to the, to the last last Test match there. Finally, Scotty, you've also um, qualified for the T20 World Cup next year. But um, uh, this World Cup coming up in India, I mean, I, I, I venture to suggest you're one of the better players of spinner in, of spin in, in world cricket. You've got a phenomenal selection of sweep shots. And, and I guess the boys will be looking to you to lead from the front. Are you looking forward to playing in the subcontinent? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, like I obviously haven't spent a whole lot of time in, in India, but from what everyone says, the the pitches um, and the grounds vary a fair bit um, depending where you are. So obviously spin's going to play a factor um, in some of those grounds and maybe not in some other ones. But yeah, I think uh, it's something as a group we've been working on uh, consistently, which probably helped us in this tournament that, you know, getting through, but we obviously uh, didn't play as well in the final, which was a bit disappointing. But yeah, as I said, we've got we've got three months to, to prepare. So hopefully we can get across to some of those conditions and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll see if I can work a few sweep shots with the boys over there. I must say, the way the tournament was set up, uh, the final was, I think, destined to be an anti-climax, no matter who ever got into it, because you only went there to qualify for the World Cup. I mean, frankly, as far as finals go, it was largely quite meaningless, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, we obviously... We came there to, to firstly qualify and secondly, you know, we wanted to send a statement and win, win the final. Yeah, so we were, we were obviously a little bit disappointed with how we played. But, yeah, as you said, you know, we, we got the main result we were after. And I think uh, I think we played something like 13 games in, in 27 days. So, guys were, yeah, the bodies are starting to feel it a little bit. So, I think guys are looking forward to, you know, having a couple of, couple of weeks off and sort of refreshing a bit. Scott Edwards, you've given a lot of people an enormous amount of pleasure. I must say that I felt Zimbabwe and Scotland were desperately unlucky. And if this tournament proved anything, it was that more teams deserve to be at the World Cup, don't they? Yeah, I think it's something all associate teams and all um, yeah, cricketing agents, I suppose, have been have been after. 
yeah, 10, 10 teams isn't doesn't really seem like a you know a global event. So yeah, hopefully in years to come it keeps growing. Um, and as you said, you know the more performances you know teams like us, Scotland, Zimbabwe, all these teams put in, um, I think the more pressure it puts on to to grow the game and actually get 16, 20 team World Cups back. Yeah, I think I think we've all shown that. Uh, the gap's getting smaller um, and, and we're competing on that stage. So, yeah, we're obviously the lucky ones that get to go through, but, yeah, you, you do have to feel a little bit for Zimbabwe, Scotland, West Indies teams like this uh, that, that are going to miss as well. Good luck at the World Cup, Scott. Uh, you've, as I said, given a lot of people a lot of pleasure um, and good luck in the T20 World Cup as well. We'll be watching very, very keenly and uh, supporting you. I think you're going to be everybody's favourite second team. (laughs) Congratulations. Well done. Enjoy the flight home. Awesome, guys. Appreciate it. That was a delighted Netherlands captain, Scott Edwards. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer, Steve Harmison. Now, the inaugural season of uh, Major League Cricket kicks off this week. Yet another T20 competition looking to establish itself. Um, in the world. Ahead of the start of the tournament, Harmy and I sat down with former England fast bowler Liam Plunkett, who will be playing for the San Francisco Unicorns. Uh, And he obviously could not contain his excitement before the tournament. It is exciting. And as I just said to you guys before we we started recording, I had a camp in San Fran uh, last week with the Unicorns, so it made it feel real. It was good to have the, uh, the management, the cricket side of things, the guys across from Victoria, uh, to put some professionalism into like uni- uh, the unicorn setup, uh, so yeah, it felt like I was a part of a professional cricket outfit again, which was was really nice. So Liam, you, about that camp, you know, what's so what's changed since the last time we spoke? We spoke about what a couple of about six weeks ago, everything the plan was going, but we've seen a draft since. We've seen some England players. We've seen some players from around the world. You're talking about it getting bigger and building better, but what has changed from your point of view that excites you just that little bit more as you get 40 days closer? I think it is. It's I'm obviously getting picked up in the draft. It felt like that was a step closer, a very an American thing, a, a draft in terms of how they did it, and it was really well done. It was uh, I thought they did a great job on that. Uh, and then obviously being associated with a, a cricket franchise, obviously we have MLC, but being a, a part of Unicorns, which is the cricket side of things, is run by Cricket Victoria, uh, with the uh, Graham Manu heading up that. Uh, and obviously with his support staff coming in and keeping in touch with you leading up to the camp, I just had it felt like you're part of like a, a county system, like a franchise system, and they'll reach out to you about. Uh, the itinerary coming up and it was very, yeah, what I'm used to, like the high performance cricket wave things. So that's exciting because that's what I've done for a living. What we've done is uh, you're accountable for uh, your role and your job as a cricketer. So it was nice to have that put in place. Uh, the 10 days we just had in San Francisco, very similar. You had cricket practice. You had your SNC on the afternoon with the batting coach, the bowling coach, and obviously Graham Manu there is, uh, I think it's the general manager. I think it's obviously the term is in America, that role. So it, it, it feels like it's coming together. It feels like it's a proper a cricket, high-performance sort of culture. Obviously, the USA are in the World Cup pre-qualifying tournament in Harare, um, and that, I guess, will raise the profile of cricket, which is still, I would imagine, still re- uh, pretty much a minority sport. Um, but that'll raise the profile. And when MLC starts, how 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 what sort of percentage of the population would would be aware of of MLC starting and 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 the rising profile of cricket in the country? 
one percent probably <laughs> probably <laughs> such a big place but i mean in terms of demographic isn't it you I, I know obviously in the circles that you run with in in philly and the cricket sort of groups is uh a lot of uh uh indians pakistanis sri lankans so some english south african they will know and that can pull a big audience it's uh, a lot of people obviously watch cricket in america uh, so people will watch it. It's just then getting them involved and telling the friends who are not familiar with cricket, getting them guys to watch it to see what what does this look like. And I'm not sure it's been released or yet about which uh, uh, platform it's been uh, shown on, which uh, who's got the TV rights and stuff. But if it's shown on some of them platforms and people get to watch cricket and it's a team or city that they live in, that gives them more excitement. So hopefully that's what you'll get, right? And still it's the dream is, isn't it, to having someone, say, for instance, from Affiliate Academy who's 14, 15-year-old, then goes minor league and then plays major league when he's 18 and smokes 50 off 20 balls and then becomes a big thing in his area, right? I think he'll get his college friends or high school friends to come and watch it, and that's how you get that traction to the sport. So hopefully that's in a few years down the line. But I think for now uh, you will get people watching it. It's... Depends how they sort of promote it. Obviously, that's not my side of things in terms of the ticket sales and all that kind of stuff. But how do we get people in through the, through the gates for that uh, first three weeks of Major League? And just explain to everyone, Liam, the sort of the itinerary of what it's going to be, because it's going to be in one place, six teams, um, four of them are owned by IPL, IPL franchises. But because it's only in one place, is that is that make it easier for everything logistically to go around, or does that make it harder because you're not, like you said before, people will support their city, but if they're not playing in their city, do they know how to support it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's one. It might be two, mate. I think it might be two venues unless something's come out. I think it might be also North Carolina. They've got uh, that stadium getting built there, so you'll have Dallas, the new stadium, North Carolina. But as you as you say, I think. The first few years or until people get to know who's playing or which city's playing, because maybe what how much percent of the population don't know about which city's playing. And I guess even if you speak to people around here, they probably don't know there's a minor league team and they would come to watch it and knew about it. But I think it's just getting the general uh, population interested in the sport first. Uh, you, if, if you go like in San Fran last week, you start to speak to people just if you're in an Uber or you're trying to people who like cricket, they sometimes don't know that the unicorns exist. Uh, but if you start speaking to them, say, listen, there's potentially going to be a stadium here in two, three years' time. There's a place you can come and watch your team play. I think that's how it'll get the, the influx of people and crowds. Because that's what it is. If you watch the Indian population, very obviously passionate about it. And if they can cling on to a team in their city, I'm sure that's how it'll grow. So that that's that's the aim is to build that home support, that home network. But we need stadiums first, because as you said, if if I'm playing for San Fran and we're in Texas and North Carolina... Not a lot of people are going to travel four or five hours on a flight to watch it. It's a bit of an ask, a bit of an ask, I guess. <laughs> How big a coup was the signing of Jason Roy? I mean, uh, and was it a coup? And are there more in the offing? I know this is, again, probably not, not your sphere of, uh, of, of expertise, but um, I'm sure you've got a stronger sense than we have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's especially now because my role is, I'm sort of a part of the major league in terms of the national development coach, but then I'm obviously out to to the unicorns. So I guess in terms of strategy wise, they don't want to give me access to who's coming across because then I can speak to the unicorns and say, by the way, DC is getting this block and this block. Maybe we should start looking into it. But I, I don't know in terms of Jason Roy is the only one I know so far. There's probably ongoing conversations between agents and franchises and 
you can general in terms of the Indian franchise, the IPL franchises. I think they'd be associated with the guys they've probably got in the IPL teams. It's just going to keep getting dropped, isn't it? It's more of a publicity and how, okay, we've got a player signing next week, next week, next week. I think they're all signed anyway now. Hopefully for me, you want English guys to come across because it's an opportunity for them to earn more money and be in America, one of the biggest places in the world for sport. You never know what's after that either. They can build good relationships and have other opportunities in terms of commercial or sponsorship, and that's obviously good for them and obviously their earnings. But in terms of players, I don't know anyone... uh, else from the UK or England who's who's signed up. You've been around a, a long time, Liam, and you know, you're a very popular guy in the dressing room. I can vouch for that. And you played with some big clubs, you know, Yorkshire, Surrey, Durham, you know, clubs that are successful over a long, long period. Have you had many people contact you on that front? I know you say you you don't know of any players coming across, but the the whispers around, you know what, you know what dressing rooms are like there's always a Chinese whisper in some dressing room. And by the time that team's played that team, it gets embellished that little bit more. But other people ringing you up and asking you about this MLC, especially the guys who are playing in the blast at the minute, playing in the hundred at the minute going, well, we see this as a financially a better outcome. And, you know, six weeks in America, that's not bad either. Yeah, yeah, there is, mate. There is people speaking to me. I think it's that interest, isn't it? As as a kid, you see what basketball and NFL and stuff like that, how big it is. And it potentially cricket to get to that sort of platform, not as probably big as them sports, but it is kind of big, as big as MLS or bigger. It is attraction. Also, what's what's the money, uh, I guess, coming across? And if it is financial reward, and then people will jump at it. I've had people reach out to me who said they would move across here. That maybe like a, a different opportunity to come to America and live here permanently and get involved in terms of can I do some coaching there? I've got a few years left playing some good cricket, but I'd like to do something something else. I mean, a lot of players want to go into the coaching realm after cricket, but there's only so many jobs available, right? In terms of commentating or stuff what you do today, there's only so many jobs and people need that uh, work after cricket, don't they? So people are always looking for opportunities. And on that on that front, sorry, man, I jump in on that front. You know, we're talking about, you don't know, that the, the TV rights will be coming out soon. I'm sure there'll be a radio rights and a broadcasting rights and how it goes. Do you see this going around the world? Do you see it being on? You know, is that is that the dream, to be on not only TV stations around the world, but you know, live commentary on talk sport? Little, just little things like that, which take it to that next level of credibility to then go, right, in five years' time, we are going to have, we're going to have Josh Butler. We're England captain playing cricket for one of the MLC teams and leading our league and everybody around the world. You can watch it in Australia. You can watch it in India. You can listen to it in England. All these things happening. Is that the, is that where you're looking to to go with it? I think in terms of being able to watch it, I think people will be able to watch it very easy, mate. Uh, far, that's what I'm hearing anyway. I think it's going to be accessible very easy with the different formats, different stations, whatever. But yeah, I mean, hopefully that is because... It's going to come down to, as we, we said, in terms of that, uh, you sign for a franchise, especially if it's an Indian and IPL franchise, and you're going to bounce around and play uh, for, okay, I'm going to be in South Africa, I'm going to be in UAE, I'm going to go to America. That's a part of people's contract, right? And you see, that's what they've been talking about. And if you're signing and playing five uh, franchise uh, competitions a year and you're on a good salary, you'll probably see them guys a part of the uh, American setup. I mean, if you're uh, IPL owners, I think you probably want to be over here because it's a massive interest uh, in terms of something different. And I think they'll keep coming, mate, after this year and we'll see what that that looks like. 
Uh, people probably want to dip the toe in the water to start with, and if it grows and gets bigger, then you'll see the IPL teams coming in. Even also in terms of like locally, like successful businesses here might not want to come and sponsor or endorse a franchise because there's no history of cricket in America. If this goes really well, if you're if you're an American businessman, businesswoman, you don't know nothing about cricket, potentially why would you invest in it the first year? But if you see how it does the first year, next year, you might, I might invest in this. This is a great opportunity and it can raise that way as well. And a bit like MLS, you've got like the NBA players, uh, like Kevin Durant and all these guys investing in soccer teams. You might see that with cricket. That'd be great if you could get big stars from other American sports investing in franchises. That will surely, like, that will surely see like the growth of, uh, of cricket here. But get, definitely get more eyes on it if you get big stars investing in a, a franchise. Liam, in many ways, we're talking about two worlds here, the old world and the new world. Um, and I don't just mean America. I'm talking about cricket worlds. Um, and you were part of both. You know, you were part of the, if I may say, the traditional test playing ashes on the doorstep. And now you're very much a figurehead um, of the, the new world, the MLC. Do you have any words for the, I guess, the old world cricket lovers who see the ML? Uh, that Major League Cricket as a threat. Um, and, you know, that, that there's no sort of, there's no real care, love for the game, they don't care about Test Cricket. Um, and what, what what would you say to the, to those people? I don't know, you're going to always have people who don't want to see it go that direction. Same with the golf, right? And even boxing, the way that everyone's going certain places because there's more money and stuff. We're, we're ever evolving. I, I want to see cricket being traditional. I do. Like, I love that part of the game. That was the best time of my career is playing, playing for England and getting called up to playing test cricket. As Stokes, he said the other day, like, that's still the pinnacle for him to play test cricket. Uh, but I guess the way that we're moving so fast is you're going to have to get on board at some point. Let's look the way we're playing test cricket. It's not like you're leaving, blocking. You're trying to score as quick as you can and be aggressive with your field and your bowling. But it, it is, I, I sort of feel that a little bit. Like, I you're moving forward with it, otherwise you're going to be stuck and you're going to be miserable and not enjoy for something that could be really good. It's just it's just the way we're evolving, mate. You guys obviously probably speak a lot more about it than me and know more about it than me being across there. But yeah, I mean, hopefully they can get on board and can see this is a good thing for the players as well. Good things that the players get a chance to travel and earn big money and obviously secure themselves up after cricket because, yeah, I mean, cricket is, it's, it's a great sport and I wouldn't change it for the world, but it goes like this, right? And then you're 35, 36 and try and make uh, money while you can. Liam, the fixtures have just been uh, released, actually. Um, I think momentarily before we came on air, you, your six games or your five games uh, over the course of 11 days, um, I, I guess you'll you'll be up for playing in all of them, will you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a local. I'm not sure how much I'll be bowling. I mean, I'm just the uh, false seamer, I think. But uh, no, absolutely, it's going to be... I, I'm so excited for it, mate. I just hopefully that stadium in, in Dallas, that opening weekend is is something that people can look at and think, actually, cricket is serious over there because you have the names there. Hopefully, the wicket plays really well. Uh, lots of runs are scored and it, it's good games. And yeah, I'm just more worried about how hot it's going to be, to be honest, mate, in Dallas. I think. <laughs> Um, finally, I don't want to put you under pressure, but you're um, the only point of contact for the majority of our listeners who, you know, we, they have always have been saying for, for, for weeks, you know, please keep talking to Liam. We want to find out more about Major League Cricket. So we will stay in touch. And, and what would be a realistic success for you uh, for the first year, just that everything goes smoothly? 
Yeah, as I think I just said, like goes smoothly, but people score big runs and it's exciting. I mean, I, I want them. I think I said on the last time I spoke to you guys, and I want to do well. But if me getting hit around the park, unicorns won't like me say this. If me get hit around the park, it actually makes it more successful and it's more exciting. Then I'm all for it. I might not get a contract <laughs> next year, but the the spoil definitely grow here. Uh, but yeah, like a really well, uh, really well run uh, first tournament. Uh, the grounds look amazing. Uh, the product looks good and there's some really good cricket and we get some more eyes on it. I think you're going to get people interested uh, from overseas because they're like, well, what's this? How does it look like? But if we can get some good support from the US and get them coming through the gates to watch, that'll be a huge success as well. It was San Francisco Unicorns bowler Liam Plunkett speaking to Harmin Nye ahead of uh, the start of the inaugural Major League Cricket in Dallas this week. It'll be interesting as well uh, because I, I just it's got a, an element of differentness to it. Um, Hasn't it, Harmy? I mean, you know, the players I've spoken to, quite a, quite a few, and they're just really excited about the fact that it's in America. I mean, it's not a country you get to visit uh, as a cricketer very often. If yeah, I'm hoping it. I'm hoping it kicks off. I hope it goes brilliantly. Not just for Liam, because obviously I've known Liam since he was fourteen or fifteen years old. I see it in his eyes. I see the excitement in him. He's been going to America since he was probably about. 25, 26, when uh, when he met his his girlfriend and wife now, and to see to see him hopefully fulfil what was probably a dream for a long time, it's brilliant for Liam and I'm, I really do hope it takes off. Not because the the world will sort of you know it can open up the American world could open up such huge revenue streams for cricket around the world. It puts pressure on England because it's going to be played during the English summer, and if it does take off. You know, they'll have the financial resources to to really sort of put pressure on some of the England counties and put pressure on the ECB. Um, so it'll be intriguing to see how it goes. But first and foremost, fingers crossed it takes off. And I really hope Liam does well because this has been a dream of his for a long, long time. And yeah, he's a great kid and I just want to see him. I want to see him being successful over there. One story that intrigued me was um, Worcestershire members kicking off about Josh Tongue leaving them to join Nottinghamshire. There's a lot of talk about how Worcestershire supported Tongue through his injury, extreme um, injuries, and, um, you know, this kind of notion that uh, he's being disloyal to them. Well, welcome to the real world. Welcome to the free market. Welcome to capitalism. That's how it works, isn't it? If Nottinghamshire can pay him more money, then he'll go play there. 100%. Unfortunately, the self-employed individuals who have got a short career in Josh Tongue, along with somebody like Ollie Stone, who they took last year, knows more than anybody else that you know, one minute you could be having a meeting with the PCA representative about where your career is going. You know, you're meeting with a doctor to f- end up getting Botox in your shoulder to you know resurrect your career. And then you could be playing for England. And yeah, you know, these are the, the pitfalls and the, the, the highs and lows of you know, trying to forge a, a career in professional sport. But the one thing that will never ever change is that you have to make sure that you look after yourself and your family and make the best decision possible for your 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 future life. And if Worcester can't offer the financial and haven't got the financial resources, and that's you know it's unfortunate for Worcester and it's devastating for me old mate Ashley Giles, direct CEO down there. But it's a it's a dog eat dog world, and unfortunately, yes, I can see the argument that Worcester have got, but unfortunately, you know these guys get paid to play a short space of time for their careers. And you have to maximise it. And Josh Tung's best outcome for him and his family is to go up to Knotts, hopefully, you know, cash in on his last 
six months of his career um, and really sort of transforming it onto the next level. One thing I will say on that, Manners, sometimes when you've been at a place where you've had so many, and not bad memories of Worcester, but bad memories of injury, sometimes going somewhere else just as a fresh start to hopefully ignite and, and sort of transform your career, that does happen. And I'm sure Worcester will go and you know, use the, you know, their resources to try and find the next Josh Tom. And unfortunately, when they do, another big county will come and take them off them. It's the way the world is. There was talk um, in some circles that it was the pitches at Trent Bridge could be more suitable for him than at New Road. But um, I think that there's more of a, a practical reality, lifestyle reality. OK, a couple of other little bits of news. Andy Balburney steps down as Ireland's white ball captain with Paul Sterling replacing him at the helm. And um, a last word this week, final word, Harmi, uh, a record was set on the quiet uh, by Tamim Iqbal, the Bangladeshi opener, who um, managed to break the world record for the shortest ever retirement. He pulled the plug on a 16-year international career and then a couple of hours later met the Bangladesh Prime Minister and announced that he had unretired. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look ahead to the fourth Ashes Test at Old Trafford. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. 